Hello, and welcome into the 60 Feet 6 Inches LSU pod. Thank you for joining me. In this episode, I will review the SEC tournament for the LSU baseball team as they go one and two and crash out a little bit early. This will also be a very abbreviated version of the 60 Feet 6 Inches LSU pod versus the usual SEC series preview or review pod. This will be a podcast only. And as always, this episode will be available on Apple, Google, Spotify, and other major audio platforms. In this episode, I will highlight some of the key statistics for your LSU Tigers from the weekend, my observations on the SEC tournament from the three games that took place, and since this is a very quick pod, I will give you a couple of gold-plated money stats and what lies ahead for your Tigers. So let's just jump right into it. A disappointing SEC tournament, in my opinion, for your LSU baseball team, I think that... I would have loved to have seen LSU play Auburn versus Kentucky, but Kentucky came in hot, and at the time of this recording, they lost to Tennessee, and you're going to have Tennessee versus Florida in the finals. And um, I just think if LSU would have played Auburn and beat Auburn, that could have done a lot more for their RPI and hopefully solidified their case for a regional host site. More on that later. So the first game that took place after all the rain, after all the late starts, I think LSU played Kentucky on a uh, Thursday night. I believe it started right around 10 o'clock at night, which was um, just ridiculous because I ended up going to bed before the end of that game once I realized LSU had it well in hand. But LSU beats Kentucky 11-6. to You saw Mikhail Hilliard take the mound, and I thought he did great. He did very well, gave you exactly what you needed. And it, I felt with Kentucky's momentum, if Hilliard could keep them at bay till LSU's hitters settled in, I thought that would bode very well. On the night, Hilliard went six innings pitched, four hits, two runs, two earned runs, two walks, and six Ks. So I thought he pitched very well on the night. And he really only had three Kentucky hitters that hurt him, and those were guys in the bottom of the order. That was Anu Burks, who loves hitting against LSU, apparently, who just went absolutely ballistic, the freshman catcher, and then Plastiak, who was kind of an all-or-nothing guy. We talked about in the Kentucky preview pod. You know, he had a ton of strikeouts, not a lot of walks, but he was second on the team in home runs, and he hit about 250. So <clears throat> he's going home uh, one way or the other, right? He's going to hit one out the yard. He's going to punch out. So I'm not going to review the game in its entirety, but Kentucky gets on the board early uh, with a home run, and then LSU's bats get going. LSU scores three in the third, three in the fourth, three in the sixth, two in the seventh. Just an amazing job of stacking hits, um, playing with a sense of urgency, after they got settled in facing um, Hazelwood, who was Kentucky's starter, who was a left-handed pitcher. And I thought early on he did a good job of busting LSU's right-handed hitters in. You don't see that a lot from lefties, but he was 89-90. to 90, A lot of confidence in that fastball, and I think he threw about 70-80% to 80% fastballs, they said on the broadcast. So he was going to make those LSU hitters. And once they got comfortable with him and his pitch repertoire, I thought you saw them take advantage of him and do what they were supposed to do, right? They come in, they came in hot against Vanderbilt. They had to wait in the hotel, you know, for about three or four days before they got a chance to play. And um, just a good job getting the win right there. One thing of note, uh, Devin Fontenot came in after Hilliard, and he continues to struggle a little bit. He had trouble putting hitters away with two strikes. He goes one and two-thirds, three hits, four runs, four earned, two walks, and one strikeout. <clears throat> And it's just been kind of an up-and-down season for him. You know, he's a fifth-year senior. 
Uh, he's used, he's used to pitch, pitching in tough games and high leverage situations, and I think at times he's done very well, and at times he's struggled a little bit. And to me, it just comes back to a uh, lack of a consistent breaking ball for him this year. I think sometimes you see his hand get on the side of it. It doesn't have a lot of tilt, or it's just it's just in between. You know, I just don't think he has a great feel for his breaking ball this year, and I think that's kind of what some of his struggles are. Because his fastball still has plenty of enough velocity. I just think he has trouble putting hitters away. And that job was done by his breaking ball uh, throughout his career. Taylor and Cooper come in to just shut the door. And LSU closes that out with a nice win, 11-6. Then they get to face the juggernaut, right? Everybody thinks the 27 Yankees are reincarnated with Tennessee. And Tennessee, I'm going to be honest, they have a chance to go down as the best college baseball team in history if they can win the College World Series and do the job in Omaha. LSU faced the ace of the staff, Chase Dolander. I believe he was SEC Pitcher of the Year. The Tigers end up losing 5-2. to two. And um, I did a lot of live tweeting during this game. And I thought LSU, despite the loss, I really thought they played well. There were a couple instances where if they clean some things up or some balls fall, that they hit really hard. It's a completely different ball game. And you also have to remember, Barry out. Doty out. So... Hopefully those guys are 100% healthy for the regionals, but that changes everything, I think, when you're facing a quality opponent like Tennessee and a guy who had just had amazing stuff in Dolander. You know, Dolander showed you right out the door what he was all about as he punches out the side, one, two, three in the first inning, and LSU was completely overmatched, and I was like, oh boy, it's going to be a rough one. For the Tigers on the mound, they threw Ty Floyd, and I thought he threw very well. Again, another good outing. But the best thing about it, I think you saw him once he got taken out the game, he was pissed. He thought he could have done better. You saw him talking to himself a little bit on the mound where he was upset with himself. And I think if he had two or three situations back, that this game is a completely different story. But, I mean, you can't do that in baseball. And you don't really get those opportunities when you're facing a lineup like Tennessee's and you're facing a guy on the mound that's not going to give you a lot of opportunities to score runs like Dolander. But for the night... Floyd went four and two-thirds, six hits, five runs, four earned, three walks, five Ks. And if you think about it, Tennessee got it going um, early. As they scored two in the first, Floyd got the leadoff guy off, excuse me, got the leadoff guy out. Then he gives up a walk, and he had some non-competitive pitches in there. Then he goes first pitch strike to the three-hole. And then the next pitch, they try to go fastball away, and that fastball just leaked over the middle of the plate. And that kid's big enough, strong enough. He hit it off the wall in right field. It kicked off for a triple, a run scores. Then the next, uh, then Floyd throws a wild pitch, I believe. And the guy from third scores. So you see right there to where other teams or other players may miss that or may not hit it as far. But that kid was probably, he was huge. I think it was Burks, maybe. He was 6'3", 220, just a big guy. And uh, he hit it very well as it leaked back over the middle of the plate. You know, took the ball to right field. Tennessee's up 2 nothing. They score one in the third um, as well. And then uh, then LSU strikes back for two in the top of the fifth. And you saw chances where um, LSU hits a ball down the right field line, I believe in the first, uh, second inning or third, to where if that right fielder doesn't make a great play on that, that ball gets down and scores two. You saw late in the game, Thompson ropes a ball down the left field line that he tracks down. You saw also in the game, I know Cruz is on second, and uh, Morgan's at at the plate, and Morgan smokes a line drive, and it hits, I mean, the shortstop doesn't even have to move. But you saw, in my opinion, Dolander threw great, right? He had like 10 strikeouts, I believe. 
But you saw LSU settle in after the first inning, and they got some really good swings, and they really didn't chase his breaking ball early on. And it was very interesting to me to where the first two innings, Dolander pumped a lot of fastballs in there, and the kid's throwing 96, 97. But then, you know, kind of in three, four innings, three, four, five, he almost went just a, he flipped a script to where he went predominantly with his breaking ball to where he was throwing two, three in a row at times. And um, I don't know if LSU saw that coming, and that was definitely a change of a game plan by the Tennessee pitching coach, I believe, and Dolander. I don't know if that's how that kid usually pitches, but that was very odd to me. So another story of the game was Trent Vittmeyer. He had a chance to come in, and three he threw absolutely amazing to me. By far and away his best outing of the year. And um, I can't remember all the outings in his career. He's been at LSU for five years, but maybe the best outing of his career against this type of quality opponent. He goes three and a third, three Ks, no hits, no walks, no nothing. He was absolutely fabulous. And I thought you saw his velocity really ticked up. He was locked in. And he was 92, 93. In my opinion, he's usually around 88 to 90. And you didn't even really see him feature that nice slider cutter that he has very often. He just went right out these guys with the fastball. He stayed out of the middle of the plate. He worked both sides of the plate. And he just had an aggressive mindset on the mound. And if he can repeat that um, in the regionals or the super regionals, I mean, that was fabulous. And he hadn't pitched in a couple weeks, which uh, I've been a little disappointed in because I think he gives you some senior leadership. I think he can come in and give you a ground ball or get some tough outs. And um, to me, you could tell, I don't think, Jay Johnson and Jason Kelly wanted to leave him in that long, but he was just dealing. And at that point, you're like, if we're going to lose, at least we're going to save our bullpen because we've got to play one, if not two, tomorrow. So hats off to Vittmeyer. Thought he threw fabulous. Um, but that was really it. You know, Tennessee brought in a couple of relievers. They brought in their closer, who is not your prototypical closer, apparently. He is a crafty lefty. So I, uh, I, I, um, I recognize that guy myself out there. But I thought LSU was really going to hit this guy. You know, he's got a low 80s fastball, average breaking ball to me. And at this point in the game, you know, in the 8th and ninth, I just thought they became very passive. I don't know if their game plan was to take till they got a strike, but he was constantly flipping him breaking ball for strike one. Then he'd go breaking ball for strike two. Then he'd kind of mess around and get to 2-2, and LSU um, just couldn't hit him. And uh, his stuff's not impressive, but apparently he's the uh, tied for the career um, saves lead at the University of Tennessee. So he's been there and done that. Just not your prototypical closer in today's game. So um, a little disappointed they didn't have better at-bats against him and make better contact, but it is what it is as LSU falls to 5-2. Now, getting to the game on Saturday. <clears throat> and I'm going to be honest. I checked out halfway through this game. I felt like it was a waste of my time and a waste of my day, and I wanted to enjoy the time with my family and the pretty weather we're having right now. But uh, LSU just they just didn't show up. And you've seen this before in the Ole Miss series, and this, and this game gave me a lot of Ole Miss vibes. But Kentucky beats LSU. Um, they beat them by the score of 7-2. to LSU was no hit, I believe, for six innings. And their at-bats early on were just not competitive. And look, if you watch that game, or if you're a young kid that doesn't throw really hard, you saw that left-handed pitcher for Kentucky. He was actually pitching. And then, to me, that was a definition of what a pitcher is. He had three pitches for strikes. He was working both sides of the plate, and he was changing speeds. You know, he had a fastball, curveball, and a changeup. His fastball was about 88 to 90. His changeup was around 80. And then he'd flip his breaking ball in there. And he was busting guys in, working guys away, um, changing speeds. 
getting ahead, and that may have been the best he's pitched all year. And you could tell throughout this tournament, Kentucky has been locked in, locked in on their bats. I'm sure some of these pitchers have pitched out of their shoes to where they typically didn't throw like this during the year. But they knew coming in they had to win almost every game just to get into the NCAA tournament, and you saw them come out with a big-time fire on Saturday. And I think you may just be able to – this is not an excuse, but I think this is reality, right? LSU had a, a long night um, uh, Thursday night, a long night Friday night. Then they got to turn around and wake up, I'm sure, around 8 o'clock Saturday morning and get ready to go for a noon game or a 12.30 game right around that time. And I'm sure they got to bed both of those nights, Thursday night and Friday night, probably around 3 o'clock in the morning. By the time they get back to the hotel, shower, and that adrenaline wears off, you know, it's, um, it's almost daylight outside. So I'm sure those guys were just completely exhausted. Even though they're college kids, look, they still get tired, obviously. And um, I just think they didn't show up. And I'm not going to read too much into it. It was a little disappointing when you think all the things that are going on right now with conference tournaments and some teams catching on absolute fire that, and people are going to disagree with me, I think they needed to win that game to really solidify their spot as a regional host site. And now you leave it up to the committee, right? You go one and two in the SEC tournament. You beat Kentucky. Your RPI drops because you don't have a chance to beat a team like Auburn. You don't have, You unfortunately couldn't get it done against Tennessee. That's a tough ask, but that would have been a phenomenal win for this LSU team. And now the committee decides your fate, right? Because I think if you beat Kentucky, you lose to Tennessee, you go two and two. A lot of people around town, a lot of pundits thought they had to win two games this weekend. And... um. They just didn't get it done, and it was disappointing. You know, you see Jacob Hasty go out there. Everybody's been looking for him to start. He finally gets his chance, and to be honest, he just didn't have it. You could tell early on. He didn't have a great feel for his fastball. He airmailed like two fastballs over McManus's head to the backstop, which is it's very odd to see from anybody, much less him. He didn't have a great feel for his breaking ball, and he was just walking a ton of people. And, and that could be attributed to a lot of things, right? He may have been too amped up for his first start. He may have been tried to be um, too perfect. And it's different when you're a reliever and you get a chance to start and you've never done that before. And I'm sure he really wanted to show Coach Johnson and Coach Kelly they made the right decision. But I'm telling you right now, it's completely different. From once he gets to the ballpark, his routine is, is completely changed now. He's not used to warming up before the game. Long tossing, then he goes in the pen trying to figure out how many pitches to throw. You know, this kid's come in relief all year, and even though he's had some long outings in relief and he's entered the game um, early, just trust me, it's just a different routine, a little bit of a different mindset. And I don't know if that played a factor, but he was definitely not his usual self. Hasty goes a third of an inning, two hits, two runs, two earned, three walks, which is really the outlier, and one strikeout. Razelman comes in after him. I thought Razelman did a great job. Um... He goes three innings, three hits, three runs, three earned, one walk, five strikeouts. I think in the third, he got a little tired. I'm going to be honest, after about the fourth or fifth, I checked out. So I didn't get to see the end of Razelman's outing. And I definitely didn't get to see Collins, Schaefer, or Gervais come in after that. I didn't watch a lick of it. So LSU ends up losing. And I'm going to be honest, we've seen that from this team this year to where they just kind of check out or they don't show up. And I think at this time of the year, I'm not going to put too much stock into it. I think they're college kids. I think they know what's at stake. I think the coaching staff is going to get them ready for the regionals and hopefully the super regionals. And to me, you just move forward. It is what it is. You play terrible. You come home to Baton Rouge. You get a chance to rest. And then you find out um, 
where your future lies. If you're going to host, if you're going to squeeze in as a 15 or 16 seed, or you're going to be traveling and go somewhere as a two seed. Okay, so I do have a couple of gold-plated money stats for y'all. I didn't know if I was going to be able to find any, but this was uh, interesting to me. On the weekend, we've talked about LSU struggles with left-handed pitching, and I know they've done a lot better as recently. You know, just think about what they did to Futrell up at Vanderbilt. They got him out the game uh, in the first inning, so they hit him really hard. They've had some good approaches lately, but they struggled once again against left-handed pitching. They went 8-for-44 on the weekend versus lefties, and that is a 181 batting average. So that's concerning when you look at um, such a condensed series in a regional where you're going to have to face you know, somebody's probably one or two who's a lefty. And then if you make it to a super regional, obviously you're going to face somebody's one or two again who is a left-handed pitcher. So they continue to, well, albeit they've turned some things around against left-handed pitching, all in all, let's be honest, they've struggled versus those guys all year. The second gold-plated money stat is after the first game against Kentucky in which LSU won 11-6, to they scored in two of 19 innings. So I went all the way back to the, eighth against Kentucky in the bottom of the eighth LSU didn't score then you combine the Tennessee loss and the Kentucky loss LSU scored in two of 19 innings and that's an issue we've talked about this all year they have a ton of pop in this lineup but they have trouble manufacturing runs and I'm going to attribute some of this to no Jacob Berry and no K Doty and who knows the health of these guys Jay Johnson's been pretty uh, tight-lipped about that but you didn't see them play in Hoover at all And I agree with that decision. You want them healthy and ready for the regionals and the hopefully uh, super regionals. But when they are not in the lineup, this lineup gets very thin at the bottom. And this kind of brings me to a a little bit of a, I have a couple of observations that I learned this weekend. And we'll just start with that one. That's the first one. Is when Doty and Barry aren't in the lineup and LSU is not clicking, the bottom of the order gets very thin. And this is what I mean. You figure at this point, Cruz and Pearson are going to be very consistent throughout a three or four game weekend, bottom line. And I don't necessarily include Morgan in that because you saw Morgan. I think he went one for the SEC tournament last time I saw his stats. So, And at times, he can be up and down as well. And then you saw them move Thompson to the three-hole. And I don't. I, obviously, he's not comfortable. He did well in three-hole, but he's not a three-hole hitter. I think everybody would agree with that. But that for, when Barry and Doty are not in the lineup, that forces you, obviously, Bianco comes in, and then uh, Joe Bear is playing right, and then Dugas is in. And you have to move McManus up in the lineup. So my point is, when you move McManus up, I think it shortens that lineup, right? Because when Joe Bear and Dugas, when they are hot, they're on fire. They're two of the best hitters in the conference when they are hot. But boy, when they are not hot, they are ice cold their at bats are really bad I'll just be 100% completely honest with you they don't have they're not like a a, to me like a Cruz or a Pearson to where they can take a walk they can work a count those guys are either all the way on or all the way off and when if those two guys are all the way off then you look at Bianco and Cranford who are both hitting in the 150s and they're hitting in the 150s for a reason those guys can have good games or potentially good at bats but if you're going to take a four-game series, they're not going to get on very much at all. So if you shorten that LSU lineup to where now the bottom four guys are struggling, that's rough. 
That's tough. You're not going to run roll the lineup over, and Cruz and Pearson aren't going to get as many ABs. And then if those guys aren't on base, Cruz and Pearson can't drive in anybody. And that's when you see teams score two runs in 19 innings. So to me, that's a problem moving forward. We just have to have our fingers crossed that um, Barry and Doty are okay. Because think about this. If you have Barry and Doty back, you go Cruz, Pearson, Barry, Doty, Morgan in the five hole, JT in the sixth, Joe Bear or Dugas in the seventh, depending on who's playing in the outfield. McManus, Cranford. So you got McManus, who was on a tear against Kentucky in the first game. Now you got him hitting the eight hole, and we've seen him. He's got serious pop, and he can hit doubles. It just really lengthens that lineup, and to me, it makes it very tough on opposing pitchers. The second thing I noticed, and um, this isn't like ground balls hit to the shortstop at a second baseman to where we've had problems with defense, but a lot of times these are outs that are easy outs and the you know the hitters are giving you an out but the pitchers they don't do a good job fielding their position and it's aggravating for me and for other pitchers to see because I've seen some of their comments on Twitter or text messages and I'm going to be honest I took a lot of pride in fielding my position and I know everybody says pitchers aren't athletes I get it okay but when you have an easy ground ball to you or a bunt and you can't get off the mound and make a throw to first base and you throw the ball down the right field line with potentially runners on base or with two outs or to lead off an inning, I have a serious problem with that. And I know they work on PFP. They have to work on PFP, as detail-oriented as Jay Johnson is. But these guys have a serious problem. And trust me, I'm 46 years old. I guarantee you I could do that right now. But as the pressure ramps up and you're in high-pressure situations, if you're a starter and you got you know runners on second and third, and it's a little dribbler. If you can't get off the mound and throw the ball to first base consistently to get the third out of the inning and you airmail it down right field line and you give up two runs, that's a problem when your offense may only be looking to score three or four runs in a game against Louisville's number one pitcher or Virginia Tech's ace. So that's just something to look for going forward. And it just seems like it's it's gotten a little it's gotten worse, actually. You know? So the inability of pitchers to fill their positions and get easy outs is um it's aggravating for me being an ex-pitcher, and it could be an issue moving forward. Okay, that's going to do it for the 60 feet, 6 inches LSU pod. So what does LSU have moving forward? I believe um, at the time of this recording, which is Sunday, I've seen some things where the NCAA is going to release the host sites on Sunday, and I'm going to tell you right now, I'm just going to use my head and not my heart. I do not believe LSU hosts a regional. It sucks. It's disappointing. You've had some teams go absolutely ballistic in these conference tournaments. North Carolina is on fire. Florida is playing Tennessee later today. They are on fire. So I think Florida stole a host site. I think Carolina stole a host site. I think Texas stole a host site. Oklahoma State got back in the mix, I believe, as well. You've seen teams that won conference tournaments that bumped out automatic qualifiers, which have changed some things. But right now, um, LSU is 38-20 and 20 on the year. They are 18-15 and 15 aggregate SEC play, so that's counting the SEC tournament. D1 Baseball has their RPI at 25 at the time of this recording. And D1 Baseball has them projected as a two-seed at Louisville. And we know how well this team plays on the road. And they're not scared to go on the road. And I'm not afraid for them to go on the road. I would much rather have the regionals at the box. We'll find out later today. But um, I think they're going to be a two-seed in either Louisville's regional. Also, um, three other regionals I looked at would be Miami, Southern Miss, or North Carolina. And... The regionals those teams are matched up with, I don't have a problem. Miami and Southern Miss at this time are matched up together. North Carolina is matched up with 
Maryland, I believe, and then Louisville is matched up with A&M. So potentially, if you go to Louisville, you win that, you'd have to go to A&M and take two out of three from those guys in College Station. So um, it's just, you know, you made your bed, now you got to sleep in it, right? They didn't get the job done certain times throughout the year. and um, But as we've seen before, this team's not scared to go on the road and take series. You know, they swept Mississippi State. They took two out of three from Bama. They swept Vanderbilt on the road, and they're very comfortable playing on the road. And uh, maybe that's a good thing for them to get away from Baton Rouge. But I think if you ask anybody, they'd rather play at home. They'd rather sleep in their own bed. I think from a weather perspective, you have a pretty good idea. And then you got the fans, right? And the fans are going to show up for a regional as well. So all in all, I wish they would host. But if I had to put money down, I would bet that they would not host at this point in time. So be on the lookout for a regional um preview pod i think i'm going to do something once the field is released and my initial thoughts and then i'm going to do kind of a deep dive on each team in the regional maybe uh look to get some interviews going and that will i will definitely do a a deep dive regional preview pod later on in the week so that's going to do it here for us on the on the 60 feet 6 inches lsu pod make sure to subscribe to the youtube channel like comment on some of those videos if you miss some hit that notifications bell And as always on Twitter, make sure you follow the Twitter account. It is at 60FT6INLSUPOD. And as always, tweet at me, interact with me, like, comment, hit that notifications bell on Twitter as well. And once again, this is in podcast form only as we wrap up the SEC tournament. And this will be posted today, which is Sunday. And uh, it'll be on all major audio platforms, including Apple, Google, and Spotify. So I hope everybody enjoys their Memorial Day weekend. Enjoy the weather. Y'all stay safe. Thank you for all the support. I appreciate it. And until next time, go Tigers.